Hello, Cubs fans. Welcome to episode two of the Cubs PS Plus podcast. I'm your host, Mike Waller. And it's a glorious Friday. I know the Cubs have lost seven in a row and looked pretty awful in the process, but the Cubs can't lose today. Today's game against the Mets was rained out and rescheduled as part of a doubleheader tomorrow. So hey, the Cubs can't lose today, and that's a pretty good day. I'll take it. I'll tell you, Cubs fans, this week has been rough. Cubs dropped four straight in Los Angeles, featuring four games the Cubs really had a chance to win. And then they came home against Baltimore, who is suddenly red hot after multiple seasons of tanking and having four consecutive number one draft picks. And they just rolled the Cubs this weekend, including a game on Wednesday when the Cubs fell behind and Daniel Norris somehow managed to balk in a run from the windup with the bases loaded. That, my friends, is something I have not seen before. So the Cubs are showing that winning is hard. Winning is very hard. I've been a Cubs fan since 1982 when I was eight years old. I grew up in a sports-loving family. I loved playing baseball from a young age. And I was lucky to be in a house that had cable back in the 80s. I grew up watching Cubs baseball on WGN like so many others did. It was beautiful being home in the summer and having Cubs games on basically half the summer afternoons. It was glorious. But in my lifetime, from that 1982 season through 2015, when the, the most recent Cubs core emerged, the Cubs only made the playoffs six times in 33 years. So I got, I got used to losing. I know what a losing team looks like. As hard as winning is, it's even harder to sustain success. 1984 was my first taste of victory. You know, my favorite player, Ryan Sandberg, won league MVP, became a really a household name that season. I'll never forget his two-homer game against Bruce Suter. That was absolutely fantastic. That team was exciting to watch. They had the daily double at the top of the order. They had Gary Matthews. They traded for Rick Sutcliffe at the deadline, who went 16-1 the rest of the season. That team was built. That team really probably should have won the World Series that year. They got ahead of the San Diego Padres 2-0 in the National League Championship Series before going to San Diego, losing three straight, and going home, losing the best-of-five series. 1985 looked like another season where the Cubs might be able to do some damage, and they got off to a quick start. I think it was the middle of June. They were six games up on the Mets in first place, and within three weeks, their entire starting rotation was on the disabled list, including Steve Trout hurting himself on a stationary bicycle in total Cub fashion. You know, At that point, that season fell apart. The Cubs didn't do anything again until 1989. 1989 was a season that was really lightning in a bottle. Jerome Walton and Dwight Smith were two rookies who came on Basically, we're 1-2 for the Rookie of the Year race. They really gave some balance to a lineup that had Andre Dawson and Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace. They had Greg Maddox in the starting rotation. That team wasn't great. It, it was a, the, That season was a lot of fun, but that was not a team built to sustain long-term success, and that's how it proved out. They lost to a better San Francisco Giants team. That was the year of the San Francisco earthquake during the San Francisco-Oakland World Series. And they didn't do anything else for really for nine years. 1998 was the next time the Cubs made the playoffs. That season was so much fun to watch. That was the year that Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire went head-to-head in the home run race. That was the year that Kerry Wood struck out 20 against the Houston Astros in his fifth major league start. That Cubs team was not a great team, but they had a spark led by Sammy, and they fought. They fought to the end. They were able to secure the wild card with a one-game playoff win over the San Francisco Giants. Basically, thanks to Terry Mulholland, who I swear must have pitched in every single game the last month or so of the season. But that team was not built to sustain success. Kerry Wood was young. There were a couple other players. Sammy Sosa would be part of the next good Cubs team. But that was really about it. Then you fast forward to 2003. Again, another season that sort of Cubs, I think, got there a little bit ahead of time. They were they were built around young pitching. You know, Mark Pryor was absolutely fantastic. Really should have won the Cy Young that year. 
Kerry Wood was absolutely rock solid. Matt Clement was a above average starting pitcher, and they had a young Carlos Zambrano up for the first time uh, in the, in the starting rotation. That team was pretty good. At the trade deadline, they added the key pieces. They added Kenny Lofton to play center field and hit leadoff. They hadn't had a reliable impact player at third base really since Ron Santo in the 70s, and they traded for Ramos Ramirez, who would be that guy for the next six to eight years. And that really put the Cubs over the top. They wound up winning the division. They beat the Atlanta Braves in a five-game series, including Kerry Wood outpitching Greg Maddox in game five of that series in Atlanta. And the Cubs went to the National League Championship Series against the Florida Marlins. We all know how that series ended. I'm not going to call it the Bartman game. I prefer to call it the Alex Gonzalez game, but that was a total team effort. The Cubs were up 3-0. Mark Pryor was cruising with five outs to go, and the wheels fell off. The coaches didn't get the players calmed down. The players just couldn't get those last outs. By the time they left that inning, they were down 8-3, and that was pretty much the ball game. And Game 7 really went about the way you would expect it to go. Still, though, that team had young pitching. It had some good, solid position players. The next year, they added Derek Lee from the Florida Marlins. They had a really nice core. It looked like that was a team that maybe could put together a two, three, four-year run of winning. Unfortunately, the pitching couldn't stay healthy. Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood were hurt a lot in 2004. And then by the end of the season, there was a lot of infighting. The players were arguing with the broadcasters, and it really just ended in an ugly fashion. That was when Sammy Sosa made his exit from Chicago. And that was the end of that that core. A couple years later, 2007, 2008, those were some very good Cubs teams. They were very balanced. They were deep. They did not necessarily have as much star power as, as some of the earlier teams. They had signed Alfonso Soriano to a big contract, so he certainly helped. 2008, they picked up Kosuke Fukudome, one of the best players from Japan that year. That team looked like it might have a three- to five-year window. Turned out it had two. They didn't. They got swept in the first round of both 2007 and 2008, despite in 2008 really – I think they were the best team in baseball all season. But they didn't get it done, and then it was, it, it was back to losing 90 games, 100 games. By two, 2011, the Ricketts family had bought the team. Theo Epstein came in not long after that. And it was, it was the rebuild. It was the tanking. As as people talk about it today, it was it was lose a lot of games, sign guys who you think you can flip at the trade deadline for m- more prospects, and so that that became the first time the Cubs really built anything from the farm system in my lifetime, and it worked. They had a whole core of young players that they had drafted and international signings that kind of all came up together. At the end of 2014, 2015, 2016, they had this core of players that came up together. It seemed like every single one of them hit. They hit home runs in their first games. They started. They were exciting to watch. And they did win. And they did win for a while. They won the wild card in 2015 and made a run in the playoffs. 2016, they won the division. All told, from 2015 to 2020, the Cubs made the playoffs in five out of six years. They won three division titles. They made it to three National League Championship Series. And, of course, they made it to one World Series. And, they, of course, they won that one against the Cleveland Indians in 2016. But really, well, that was great. That, that was a sustained window of success. That's really hard to do. It, it is very hard to make the National League Championship Series three years in a row. There aren't a lot of teams that do that. The writing was really on the wall with how that run was going to end if the management couldn't course correct. And the big fatal flaw there was they were not able to develop pitching. Because they didn't have young pitchers coming through the system, they weren't supplementing their bullpen with, with young arms throwing 98 miles an hour. They didn't develop a single starter during that window. Adbert Alzale came up towards the very end of that window, had a nice 2021 season before getting hurt. 
but the lack of the lack of ability to develop pitching was the Achilles heel. That was the fatal flaw of that run. Because they were never able to develop that pitching, they had all this young, cost-controlled offensive talent. But on the pitching side, they didn't. They had John Lester on a huge contract, which was probably the best free agent signing in Cubs history. But the lack of cost-controlled pitching talent forced them to you know, make, make, a dra- make a trade that made a lot of sense in 2017 when it happened. The Cubs needed another starting pitcher. And the Cubs traded Dylan Cease, who ironically enough is the Cubs' best pitching prospect to come up during that window. They traded Cease and Eloy Jimenez to the White Sox for Jose Quintana. Jose Quintana was good for the Cubs. I mean, he came in, had had a nice run in 2017. He had a good 2018 season. But having to trade that level of prospect, having to trade that caliber of player for a starting pitcher really just hamstrung what they were able to do to supplement the roster and, and help the overall depth. The young core started cheap and got more expensive together. And they also, because of, again, because of the lack of pitching depth, they had to bring in, they had to trade for Quintana. They had to bring, they traded for Cole Hamels and then signed him to a $20 million option the next year because they needed another arm in that rotation. Those were older, more expensive pitchers. They signed you Darvish to a huge contract. And then his first year, basically he, he pitched about six weeks and then missed the rest of the season due to injury so they just didn't have that depth of pitching, the same the same kind of depth that they had on the offensive side. And that's how we got to where we are today. It got to a point where the Cubs never transitioned that core. If you're going to sustain success, if you're going to have a winning window that lasts a decade like the Los Angeles Dodgers are doing, the core has to evolve. You know, it can come up and it can be Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Javi Baez. And then at some point, maybe you pick one of those guys and extend out. And then it becomes about Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ, and then it transitions to somebody else. What you can't do if you want to sustain that success is let them all come up, get expensive at the same time, let them all leave together, and then start over, which is essentially what the Cubs have done. That's where they are now. When you look at this team, the biggest thing that stands out to me is lack of depth. This team has some very good players. This team has the two all-stars. Um, arguably they could probably have two more all-stars out of the bullpen, but David Robertson and Chris Martin were not selected. Wilson Contreras is going to start in the all-star game, and Ian Happ is going to be a reserve. There are talented people. I think Nico Horner, there, there's a case to be made for him to be an all-star, but shortstop's a pretty deep position in the National League, so you know it's difficult. But this is a team that loses in the margins. When you look at a baseball season, I like to break a season down into nine-game chunks. You play 162 games. Half the season is 81. You, you wind up with nine nine-game chunks, and you can kind of judge a team by that. If you were to go five and four in every nine-game chunk, you're going to win 90 games. If you go four and five, you're going to lose 90 games. It's that difference in do you go four and five or do you go five and four? You know, the, the best teams in baseball history are going to lose 50 times. The worst teams in baseball history are going to win 50 times. It's what you do in the rest of those games. And, and the Cubs are losing in a lot of different ways. Today, they're as far out of first place as they've been all season. They're the most below 500 they've been all season. They're 19 games under, and they're 15 games behind the Milwaukee Brewers. This team is 10-16 and 16 in one-run games. They've had a bunch of extra inning games. They're 3-9 they're and nine in those games. When you look at baseball around the league and you look at teams' records based on how many runs they score or how many runs they give up, the magic line is really between 3 and 5. If you're scoring three runs a game, the league winning percentage is 398. So you're going to lose six games out of every 10. If you score four, then you start to be a winning team. And the winning percentage for scoring four runs is 572, which means you're going to win 57% of the time. 
you start getting five or more, your winning chances go up 65, 70%. For runs allowed, again, the, diff, the line is about three. If you allow three runs, you're going to win about 60% of those games. If you allow four, you're now going to lose more than you win. You're going to win about 42%. You start giving up five, you know, you're, you're talking the kind of losing percentage, the, or the level of winning percentage the Cubs have right now. The Cubs currently are 19th in scoring at 4.26 runs a game, and they're 27th in runs allowed with 5.21 runs per game. And I think this goes back to what we talked about in the first episode. When the Cubs came into the season, they came in with a lot of questions. Really, I could make an argument that the only position that was really set coming into this season was catcher with Wilson Contreras. I think Ian Happ looked pretty promising in left field. I think we all knew Nico Horner could hit. But there were a lot of question marks, and we talked about these in the in the first series. Was Frank Schwindel going to be able to repeat what he did the second half of last year? Is Patrick Wisdom really a major league player? Even Nico Horner, we know he can hit, but can he play shortstop? We've answered a lot of those questions. Right field was kind of set. They signed Seiya Suzuki, who was a star baseball player in Japan. Just didn't really know how he was going to transition over, but it seemed pretty promising. When you look at this team and you start to evaluate what the Cubs might do in the, at the trade deadline or what they should do in the offseason. You need to look at where the Cubs are strong and where the Cubs are weak. And those numbers I just gave you being 27th and runs allowed and 19th and scoring, it would kind of insinuate that the offense is better than the pitching. And while that's true, I think that's a little bit misleading. I think the Cubs bullpen has been a, actually a bright spot this year, despite the overall numbers actually not being that great. I think the Cubs have four or five relievers that have really performed at a high level. The problem is the starting pitching has been a mess. The Cubs, heading into spring training, the Cubs were expecting to have a rotation that included Marcus Stroman, Wade Miley, Drew Smiley, Kyle Hendricks, Edward Azalea, and potential depth pieces in Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, Alec Mills, and maybe Caleb Killian this season. The reality is that that hasn't happened. The, the starting rotation has suffered significant injuries. Miley has only started four times. Marcus Stroman and Drew Smiley have only started 10, 10 times each. Kyle Hendricks has not been his normal self, um, and now he's hurt. He's on the injured reserve list. And Edward Azalea got hurt in spring training and hopefully will be back later this season but has not pitched at all. On the plus side, it's given the Cubs an opportunity to see Justin Steele and Keegan Thompson in the starting rotation, and those guys have gr- really grown. Alec Mills has struggled, had his own injury problems. Caleb Killian has been up and made a few starts. He had one good start, but mostly he's really suffered from a lack of command. So when you, when you look at that rotation, that's a very obvious place to improve. And while I think the bullpen has been largely good, the fact that those starters on the whole have not been able to go consistently past you know four or five innings, it has meant that a lot of the bullpen arms have had to work a lot more often than you would prefer to, and, and a lot of their setup guys David Robertson has you know his save numbers while he's having a great season his save numbers are down he's just hasn't had that many games to come in late and win this offseason at the trade deadline in the second half start looking at guys to potentially fill those spots I think the starting rotation is going to be the first thing I think there's a young promising core um, when the Cubs were playing in Los Angeles Rick Sutcliffe was doing the color in the Cubs broadcast on marquee and he was talking about the rotation for next year if the Cubs don't make any free agent moves or trades you're looking at Kyle Hendricks and Marcus Stroman, Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, Caleb Killian. And then as potential depth pieces, you'd have Adbert Azalea, Alec Mills, maybe Drew Smiley. He's got a mutual option for next year. He, he could stay if he's not traded at the deadline. Um, the Cubs have a couple of more young pitchers coming up. DJ Hers and Jordan Wicks are both in 
the minors and would project to potentially make the majors as early as some point next season. I think the Cubs have shown the past few years that they can develop a bullpen. They're, they've done a really good job of finding veteran arms, bringing them in, helping them find a new pitch, mix their pitches in a different way, do things that make them effective. I think that starting rotation is where they really need to shore things up. So that should be a, a top look in the offseason. When you look at the offense, I think a lot of the positions are getting set. I think Seiya Suzuki, as long as he's healthy, has right field and is going to be a good solid hitter. I think you have Christopher Morrell has shown he can play a number of positions right now. He's kind of become their primary center fielder, although he's been playing more second base lately. So maybe that'll change. Ian Happ's having the, by far the best year of his career. He's he's playing left field. We'll talk more about him in a future episode. Obviously, Wilson Contreras, a catcher. Patrick Wisdom has played an above-average third base. He's shown to have a good power bat. He's not a hitter without flaws, but he's a guy who produces. He's got an OPS plus at third base of 108. OPS plus is a stat that's equalized across the league where 100 is league average. So if you're above 100, you're above average. If you're below 100, you're below average. When you look at the Cubs position by position by OPS plus, the Cubs have some very strong positions. Catcher, they're at 142, and that's a combination of Jan Gomes, Wilson Contreras, and P.J. Higgins. P.J. Higgins has been playing more lately, which has been giving Contreras the chance to play more designated hitter and keep his legs healthy. The next position is left field. Ian Happ's done a great job out there. The left field position over the course of the Cubs season has an OPS plus of 116. When you look at some of the others, third base with Patrick Wisdom is 103. Nico Horner with shortstop is 106. Center field is 109. Right field is 121. And the 121 is made up largely of Seiya Suzuki and and Rafael Ortega. Those two have combined for 67% of the playing time out there and both have OPS above 120 while playing right field. What really hurts this team is after those four or five guys, after... Nico Horner and Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras, Patrick Wisdom, Christopher Morrell. It falls fast. When you look at first base and second base, those are the two biggest holes on the team. Rivas and Frank Schwindel have combined for basically 90% of the plate appearances at first base. They both are posting mid-60s OPS+. Second base has been even worse. Nick Madrigal has an OPS plus of 50. Jonathan VR before he got cut had an OPS plus of 56. Christopher Morrell is playing there more now because as a second baseman, he's been posting a 114 OPS plus, but the position as a whole has been 66. That means they're a solid, you know, third worse than, than the average second base combination in baseball. Even shortstop, Nico Horner's OPS plus is 122, but the position's only at 103 because the second largest contributor at shortstop has been Andrelton Simmons, and he has an OPS of five. I mean, that's just absurdly low. Center field, Christopher Morrell and Rafael Ortega have played well, but when you start going beyond that, it's Jason Hayward is next in OPS plus of 64, and he's also pulled down the averages in right field. Not that OPS plus is everything, but it is a sign of productivity and where they where they sit. When you when you look at both OPS and then you combine it with WAR, which is wins above replacement measured by position. You know, the Cubs are above average at catcher. They're above average at shortstop. They're above average in left field. And they're they're below average almost everywhere else. You know, they're 24th in war at first base, 24th in, at second base. They're 28th in center field, which is actually a little bit surprising given Morrell's play. But Morrell has only been up since the middle of May, so he's only played about half the season so far. Right field is 22nd. You know, the, this team has a lot of 
room to grow. And I think one of the things looking forward is taking a look at those big holes and how do you fill them? It would be easy to say, you know, Nick Madrigal has not uh, been solid. He's one that hopefully when he comes back the second half, hopefully he can get some good at-bats and hopefully he can show that he can play or show that he can't play. But going into next season, I think they, they definitely need to shore up first base, second base. They have a couple options on second base. It doesn't necessarily have to be a second baseman. Maybe Christopher Morrell can play second base. Or maybe the Cubs go after do go after one of the big shortstops. If they make a run at Carlos Correa, there's no reason Nico Horner can't go back over to second base where, frankly, he would have even more value. He's already shown that he can be a gold glove level second baseman and take the way he's hitting this year, put that at second base, which is typically not as strong an offensive position across baseball. And now you've got potentially the best second baseman in the game paired with a really good shortstop. The Cubs could trade Patrick Wisdom. They have a lot of options at third base. That is Christopher Morrell's natural position. Nico Horner could play there. You know, even though you sign a Carlos, maybe if they sign a Carlos Correa, you know, he could eventually play third base. I think that gives a lot of options. But I think those are places where you look. I think second base, first base, center field, the Cubs have a lot of guys with positional flexibility, and that's that's key both in day-to-day performance because it does allow you to flex around injuries and try to keep lineups healthy. But it's also important in the sense that it gives you op- options as as you build, as you build that roster. The Cubs need to be stacking good decisions on good decisions, which means making good draft picks. It means developing those draft picks into quality players that move up through the system and can produce at the major league level. It also means making smart and consistent free agent decisions. You don't want to have an offseason where you go out and buy 16 players to big money, spend your fortune, win big, and then all of a sudden all those contracts are over again. Like You want to stack them up. They went and got Marcus Stroman and Seiya Suzuki last year. They need to go get a couple more guys this year. As some of the kids come up, maybe you look at a Nico Horner and maybe you work out something to extend his contract. If they don't trade Ian Happ, he's got one more year of team control, but maybe you forget that. Maybe you just do a contract extension and lock him up for the next four or five years through the prime of it, which should be the prime of his career. You also have to look at the mix of players that you have. The Cubs, the last couple of seasons, have had a starting rotation largely of pitch to contact pitchers. You know, Keegan Thompson probably has the highest strikeout rates this season. But Marcus Stroman, Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills, Justin Steele, they get their strikeouts, but they're really pitch-to-contact guys. And unfortunately, in addition to not producing offensively, the Cubs have too many guys playing in the field who aren't good defenders. They've not been very good at first base. Alfonso Rivas is their best defensive first baseman right now. But he's not been hitting. So they've been playing David Bode at first base because he hits more. But David Bode is not a natural first baseman. He's... Bodie is not a, a bad defender typically, but his most comfortable positions are second base and third base. You get him at first base. There was a play the other day where the runner beat the throw to first, largely because Bodie didn't do a, didn't stretch. That's a basic thing that first basemen do, but he's not a trained first baseman. So when you put a team out there, I mean, if you look at the defensive wins above replacement numbers this season, you know, Nico Horner, Jan Gomes, Andrelton Simmons, Nick Madrigal, and Ian Happ are the only players above zero so they're the only people who that are giving you anything on defense and Simmons and Madrigal haven't hit a lick so they almost cancel themselves out like Nico all around has probably been the Cubs best player he's definitely been probably the most pleasant surprise he and Ian Ian Happ 
but you need to take that into consideration. If the Cubs are going to put out this kind of a defense, they need to get more strikeout pitchers. If the Cubs are going to improve the defense, go sign some guys, find guys that are more natural fit for their position. You know, w- one thing about Anthony Rizzo, Cubs fans loved him for obvious reasons. He's a very good hitter. He's an outstanding defensive first baseman. He saved the Cubs dozens of errors over the course of a season because he can get out, he can stretch, he can knock balls down. You know, He really plays a good defensive first base, and they've clearly missed that this year. So as the Cubs look to the trade deadline, obviously they're going to be trades. I think David Robertson, Chris Martin are definitely going to get traded. You may see some additional arms after the bullpen traded. It's possible that Wade Miley or Drew Smiley get get traded, maybe even Kyle Hendricks. As much as I don't want to see Wilson Contreras get traded, I, I think the writing's on the wall. I think he's he's going to. So what the Cubs need to be looking at is they need to look at this rebuild process, look at what they have and look at what they need. They have a lot of young players who are two, three, four years away in the minor league system. What they're lacking is guys at the top end of the system, guys who are major league ready or very close. And so I would like to see the Cubs make deals that bring in more of those types of players. And then in the offseason, they need to find guys that can come in. Maybe they'll look for some more Marcus Stroman deals, go for a high salary rate at a low number of years where that's appropriate. But I think the Cubs at this point don't really have to worry about blocking players. Even the minor league system, they have, you know, if you, if you look at their top 20 prospects, there are a lot of shortstops on there. They're not all going to start a shortstop in, in Chicago. Some of them won't make it. Some of them might get traded. Some of them might become second basemen or center fielders or third basemen. There are just so many options, and the, and the Cubs have drafted with that in mind. They like guys with positional flexibility. So the rest of the season really needs to be – it's not going to be about the winning and losing. As bad as the stretch has been – it's going to get worse when they don't have David Robertson and Chris Martin in the bullpen, when they're bringing up more AAA arms. If they trade their two of their three best offensive players and Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ, the major league team is going to get worse. It just is. That's that's how this stuff works. Now, hopefully some of the young guys, hopefully Nelson Velasquez, some of the other guys in the minors who will come up and take some of those at-bats, maybe they start clicking a little bit earlier and they become exciting to watch. This season has always been about questions. And now the second half of the season is going to be about finding out what the priorities are in the offseason. I think it's very clear the top three things that stand out to me are you know, shoring up one more infielder, whether it's a second baseman or a position player that allows you to shift Nico Horner back to second base. A first baseman, whether it's because Schwindel or Rivas start hitting and find that offense, or they go a free agent route, and starting pitching. I mean, starting pitching is critical. They do have a lot of good young arms coming up through the system, so... You know, they may not go out and sign four starting pitchers, but I think they absolutely have a need to go out. I think this is going to be an interesting free agent class that has a number of guys who can be solid sort of number two, number three level starters. And if the Cubs can go sign a couple of those, you know, I, I don't think it's likely they're going to go get somebody like Jacob deGrom. I think the Mets are going to open the open the bank vault and, and pay that man his money and keep him around. But if the Cubs can get another solid number two, number three type, continue to allow Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson to grow, give Alzelay a chance to get back in the rotation, see what Caleb Killian can do, and then watch you know, DJ Hers and Jordan Wicks, last year's number one draft pick. Let those guys come up through the system. Now, Hers has been lighting the minors on fire. He's he's throwing really well. So he could be another year in the minors, but right now he's forcing his way up the system. Jordan Wicks was a draft pick out of Kansas State last year, so he's a college player, a little bit older. Um 
so next year if he was able to make his debut next year be i don't know his exact birthday but he'd be 24 25 years old so there's hope coming but for the rest of the season it's going to be a lot of what we've been seeing lately it's going to get worse but you got to watch if you're going to take enjoyment out of the season you're going to want to watch especially the young players see where you can see a spark see if there's somebody else that can come up along with Christopher Morrell and really produce and then start to identify holes and when we look at the draft that start that happens this weekend we we look at the trade deadline and evaluate the return we get on some of those players start to look and see do some of those guys we picked up do some of those players we got back in the trade or or drafted start to project to fill some of those holes and that will dictate what happens in the offseason. In the meantime, keep watching Cubs baseball. There'll be three more games this weekend against the Mets. And then you know, we're, then we're at the All-Star break. I don't know about you, but I'll be watching Kyle Schwarber in the Home Run Derby. It's a shame he's not still wearing Cubby Blue. But the second half is going to be upon us, and we'll see where things go from here. Thank you for listening. As always, we're out there on Twitter, at CubsPS plus spelled out please subscribe like us review us wherever it is you get your podcasts we're available on all the major carriers at this point and i welcome any feedback you want to provide thank you and go cubs